0: See. All right. Today we'll be talking about examining yourself in your marriage or for when you're when you get married. Maybe we got some widows that plan on getting married someday. Amen. Never know, huh? And some of the younger people and everything, but talking about um, what kind of character um, are you. And, and so I um, also just wanted to mention, too, um, like for the ladies' coffee break that's coming up, there are maps. Ellen mentioned that. But um, as for basically like 16 and older or 15 um, and older for this lady. Sometimes we have the younger girls there as well. But this one will be um, the older girls and the ladies, be at Melinda's house. Really something um, to look forward to going to. And know Nicole wishes she would have been able to be there, really get to know the ladies. Um, continue to pray for her as she's caring for her mother um, back in Illinois. And um, so, examine yourself in your marriage. Before we get into that, I'm just going to um, go over some of those ironic signs that you see. You know, sometimes people go, you know, just give me a sign from heaven. Well, I'm not giving you a sign from heaven. I'm going to give you some signs on earth and um so here's one of them so stop and where do you go i don't know where to go you know what sometimes life may feel like that you don't know which way to go um you know in your marriage you might be like man i just don't see it again better where do we go and well one thing i do is stop and pray okay don't stop the marriage but stop and pray amen Uh, There's another sign here. It would help if I plug it into the computer. That would help. Then the clicker will work. Amen. I need a sign that says plug in. Oh, there probably is one. (laughs) But um, if you hit this sign, you will hit that bridge. And so that's a lot higher, too. So even if you don't hit that sign, you could still hit the bridge and stuff. Um, caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. What's the purpose of even putting that up? Anyone have any idea? Why would someone spend your tax dollars to put a sign up that says, This sign has sharp edges. And here's the sign that I saw in Bremerton um, when we lived there. It's so snowing. Motorcycles use extreme Caution. Uh, my dad um, always told me those born and raised in Washington State have no common sense. And so seeing that sign kind of verified that for me and stuff. Um, he just kind of always would joke about that and stuff. So I said, well, I was just raised here. I wasn't born here. And, um, and so my sister had a real deal where she was born and raised here. And she is a socialist, so I think... I think he's right. He, sometimes he aren't born with common sense. Okay. We use this Um Slow children at play. Hunting with shotgun only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't want the children to be terrified, so we let them go to the children's department first um, for the kid venture. And then um, stop. Um, no stopping at any time. And then 25 mile per hour, I won't even say it, okay? <laughs> um, school zone, no passing. And usually at school, when I was in school, they encouraged you to pass on your grades. But um, I guess not anymore. And meth Bible camp, dead in. They're definitely right about that. If there's meth there, there's going to be a dead end um, for their life. And I just watched a video just the other day, just yesterday, and it was about in Fresno really being um, the um, capital for um, meth. Um, And and just, that was where I was born. So there's no common sense in Fresno, California either, but... um, but it's just sad. You know, it's just and like a lot of them talked about how they don't want that lifestyle, but they can't leave it. And um, Jesus is really the only one that could really give someone true victory. People maybe can get a little bit of reformation in life once in a while. But to really have true transformation, Jesus um, is who they need. But, you know, it's just like with the drunkard. Um, you know what the Bible talks about. How um, he's beaten, he's stricken, and, and yet he feels it not. And um, he goes, yet when I awake again, I will seek it again. And so, you know, we want to try to help out, um, help those with addiction. Show them there is a way. Um, no doctor, no hospital, one cemetery. You know what, that, that makes sense. I don't remember where that was at. And um, no, or sign not in use. No purpose for it, it's just to tell you it's not in use. And First Baptist Church, whoever is praying for snow, please stop. <laughs> yeah. local, supporting your local business, eat here or we will both starve. <laughs> Caution, trees don't move. This has to be in Washington State as well. They, they, they need to get taught these things. But what kind of character are you? Um, in your marriage, and really you could apply this outside of marriage, too. Um, I know it's past Valentine's Day, but we could teach on marriage all throughout the year, amen? But, um, what kind of character are you? So if you're not married, you're single, you're not married yet, or you're a widow, you don't plan to get married, the message still applies on what kind of character um, are you. Um, no life, no marriage is perfect. I think everybody gets that. Um, how can it be? After all, it's the union of two sinners together. So, you know, we usually talk about synergy. You put two horses, they could carry more weight. Well, two sinners together could cause more sin um, when they're together. And Paul says that, you know what, those that get married, they'll have trouble in this flesh, but I spare you. He goes, he goes you know what, it's good um, for marriage. It's a wonderful thing. You know, it's the scriptures were read today. That it's not good for man to be alone. Unless God's called him specifically to a celibate life. But um, it's not good otherwise for man to be alone. God's created us for a companionship. And so, um, I think we could all admit that we've been the bad partner in our marriage at some point in our life. and But we should not stay that way. Uh, let's take a hard look at the different kinds of people we don't want to be, and but find ourselves mimicking at times. And so let's not use this lesson as a lens to magnify our partner's sins, okay? But let's use this a microscope to examine ourselves. And um, one is the customer, okay? Sometimes there's the spouse, and it could be the husband, or it could be the wife. But they always expect to be the one to be served. They want want to be served. You know what? Give me breakfast in bed or give me this and that. Um, They just come with a demanding spirit, a demanding attitude. They want prompt service. They want you to read their mind and just just do it, just serve them. Um, They think they're always right. And you know what? They even teach in business training that the customer's always right. You know, I've worked retail, and I can guarantee you the customer's not always right. But they're supposed to still act as if they are. And, you know, in the marriage, you know what? You're not always going to be the one that's right, okay? Um, the company is always at fault. Um, and so sometimes, you know, we could think the company, the people we're with, they're the ones at fault. Um, they, they always want the best deal. So you're kind of bargaining with your spouse. Or as a customer is trying to negotiate, always won the best deal. Um, Jesus didn't come as a customer, you know, when he came. He didn't come to be served. Nobody had greater rights than Jesus Christ. He was king of kings, Lord of Lords. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And husbands and wives are called to live lives of mutual service and mutual submission. You know what? Men, no matter whether they've been saved or not, they know the verse, wives submit to your husbands. They know that one. They know that passage. But they don't know the one just before it that says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That there is a mutual type of submission of seeking out each other's um, needs. Um, Galatians says, "Ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And so in our life, in our marriage, or in our individual life, we don't want to have the attitude of the customer is to be our character. We want to see more of how we could be the waiter, how we could be the servant. Jesus said that he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And so save being a customer for when you're at Walmart. Um, what, 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 Come out there, and good luck there, especially around Black Friday. Um, there you go there. Um, the other type of character we could often see in the marriage is the scorekeeper. Everything is a competition. That sometimes it's criticizing one another, or or it, it, it's, like it's competing. It's like, oh, I've done more chores than you, or um, I've done this, I've done that. Or anybody ever say, when your child's misbehaving, you know, look what your child's doing. They're your children too. Who's back You know we act like it's some type of competition. When they're good, we claim them as our kids. And when they're not good, we blame it on our on their spouse. You know, a poor teammates focus on their personal stats rather than on the team score. And, you know, in reality, you know, what? this is kind of a childish um, behavior. You know, um, you know, it's my turn to get the toy in the bottom of the cereal box, which... I don't think that happens anymore. You know what? Anytime I've gone to cereal, there's no toys anymore and stuff. Or um, you know what? Sometimes our kids, you know what? You sat in the front seat of the car on the last trip. You know what? They're keeping count. They're keeping score of when they sat by the baby. You sat by the baby last time. They're, they're, they're keeping track. Um, how many cookies did you have? Um, well, Mom, he had one more piece than I did. My wife developed strategies to help keep things fair. For instance, when um, something was to be shared between um, a couple of kids, she would have one kid cut it and the other kid picks what size he wants to take. That kind kind of worked out, okay? Because then they're really going to try to get it right in the middle so it would be even on both sides. But... While this works for kids, it isn't the best strategy for marriage. The scorekeeper is the spouse who is always trying to make everything perfectly fair. Um, You bought that new dress, um, so I'm going to go buy me a fishing pole. Um, Or you spent money yesterday, so I could go spend money today. And so we're trying to keep score. We're we're acting like it's some kind of competition to try to even things out all the time will only create frustration in the marriage dynamic. And so we are better off celebrating team victories rather than individual steps. You know, you see some of the sports teams, they got some good stars. But many times when they're so focused on themselves... The team will suffer because everyone was focused only on the star. You will, um, um, we'll get other teams that, they're kind of mediocre, but they build a team spirit. They, they edify one another. They encourage each other. They get stronger together, and then they win championships because they're, as a team, Um, Player, and so we're better off celebrating team victories, and when we suffer loss, suffer it together. Okay, that you know what you suffer defeat together instead of criticizing the other. Um, Let's not live our merits to simply try and get even. Let's overcome evil with good. Your spouse treats you wrong one minute, overcome it with good. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what? I haven't practiced this perfectly yet, but it's just an idea that came to my head. Man, maybe it would be good to just kind of have some kind of special gift for your wife on hands at all times. And then when she yells at you one time, you go, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry you had a rough day and give her that gift. You know what, that will help more than it will be just fighting back. Now she may get a little frustrated at first. Oh, I can't get mad at you when you're not mad at me. Well, that's okay. You know what? Heap coals of fire on their head by doing good. Overcome evil with good. And you know, a lot of times we've seen wives reach their husbands for the Lord by being submissive to him, by following his leadership. You know, as long as it wasn't immoral, unethical, wasn't wrong, but they followed their husband's leadership, even when they didn't agree with it, and then their husband sees that meek and quiet spirit. The Bible says that many can win their husbands to the Lord, not by preaching at them, but through their spirit, through their meek and quiet um, spirit attitude. In 1 Peter 2.19 says, For this is worthy of a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults? Ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God." For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged him righteously. Man, one attitude you have is an individual, it's an employee it's a wife, it's a husband, that when you were done wrong, and you reviled not back, you, you don't threaten back. And we see Jesus um, did wonders. The other kind of character, maybe there's some of you, um, the intentional martyr. Um, I'm thankful for the testimony of Christian martyrs throughout history. The stories of their um, heroism, In the face of unspeakable um, intimidation, the torture they went through, and how they still stood for Christ—you know, those inspire me. They—they convict me. They suffered unimaginably for the cause of Christ, but suffering just for the sake of suffering is altogether different. What is remarkable about the martyrs is their devotion to loving the Lord in a legitimate cause. But I have no respect for Muslim martyrs. Okay, They're intentionally killing themselves to kill others. That's an intentional martyr. And many times we will do that in our marriage, where we're intentional, where... Um, It either destroys both of us or individually where we have a woe is me attitude, where we're we're, we're willing to suffer. You know, we act like kids sometimes where, you know what, I've seen my kids on occasion where, um, okay, they they have to, okay, maybe eat a little bit more vegetables to get ice cream. And it's like, one more bite. It's like, nope, I'm not going to do it. All right. You're a willful martyr. You're going to suffer. You're not going to enjoy the dessert. You're not going to enjoy the treat. You know, when we have that kind of attitude, we're acting like that. We're acting like um, kids um, with the woe is me attitude that we could be, have self-inflicted suffering. You know what? The spouse that just walks out the door um, in a heated discussion. You know, an intentional martyr. Okay, instead of, you know, let's try to work things out. Now, there'll be times where, you know what, maybe you agree. You know what, let's calm down. You know what, let's, let's quite, um, regain our composure. But not just by running out. You know what, one that shuts off completely, also known as the silent treatment, that's just being a self-martyr. You're not getting any reconciliation. You know what, nothing is getting resolved. Um, Jesus said, And they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God have joined together, let not man put asunder. Okay, okay? Don't divide yourself. Okay, okay? You guys are together. Embrace it. You know what? You're, again, a team. Yes, you're an individual, but in your marriage you are a team. That you are no longer, no more twain, Jesus said, but one flesh. And um, so suiciding your marriage will not give you bliss and peace. Sadly, the victim complex can last for years. Two lonely people coexist in a relationship devoid of emotional support and often lacking any real intimacy. And in some cases, spouses indeed do bear the weight of an irresponsible partner, but... A martyr complex is not the answer. It's just an additional agitator. I say you have a spouse. You know what? They're not doing right. Um, don't, don't just become an intentional martyr. The other type of character would be the Michelangelo type spouse. Look at a Sistine Chapel. few sites are famous for their artwork. It's the ceiling of the chapel that Michelangelo painted. I have trouble painting the room with more than one color with a roller and a brush. You know, like just trying to get up, just trying to get up right next to the trim, trying to tape it off, um, and that's a lot of work. It took a lot of work just painting this room. When I look at it, I was like, this isn't going to be too long, but painting it two coats takes a long time. My wife, on the other hand, she is no Michelangelo. She went, paints our bathroom, tapes nothing. She just starts painting. She's like, this is faster. Just get it done. And it shows. There's paint on the trim. There's strips on the floor. Don't tell her I told you this, okay? Because this is probably another character you're not supposed to be. Don't be the tell-all. <laughs> and so, Or I was like the perfectionist in the painting, and like even upstairs, outside at the peak, there would be like this small little spot that you wouldn't be able to see from the floor. But I see it there. And I'm like leaning over the scissor lift, just trying to get over and get it. Just to, just to get that little speck. But it doesn't work in a marriage, okay? Trying to um, be a perfectionist about everything. Um, it had been said when Michelangelo was asked why he gave such painstaking attention to every detail. After all, who would even notice? He replied... I will. It's a perfectionist on steroids. You know, there were some jobs Daniel would be doing. I was like, you know what, that's not a big deal. You know what, no one's going to notice. He's like, I I will. You know what, I'm the same way. You know what, when I'm doing the work, I notice where the flaws are. I notice that, you know what, with the trim that we put up, you know what, there's the little air gaps, and now it's probably going to bother you because I pointed it out. Um, But, you know what, I notice those things where most people maybe wouldn't notice. And in our marriage, we got to be careful not to try to be so nitpicky of our spouse and expecting perfection um, in them. Uh, Michelangelo is a easy guy to admire for his artistic work, but he was probably a bear to live with. Probably pretty hard time to live with, that kind of guy. Um, the Michelangelo never seems to be pleased. No matter how, how well, they're never pleased. No contentment only sees the flaws and what's not done Um, often these people they're winsome they're attractive to others um, because others don't have to live with them the process and the product are always more important than the people a perfectionist will forego hospitality in their home to save wear and tear on their carpet like, oh, I don't want to have people over our home. You know what? That means we're going to have to vacuum. We're going to have to clean the carpet. Or I don't want kids in our home. Uh, You know what? They're focused on their perfection of how they have their house instead of showing hospitality. You know what? Proverbs 14.4 says, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. Where there's ox, it's not clean. It's dirty, it's messy, and when you got six kids, man, it gets messy. And you're, you're picking up right after another, and many times you do go through seasons where, man, I give up. I'm focused on other things. You keep it a mess. We'll be embarrassed for a while, but we got to get other things done. But, you know, you teach them, you train them, and still, they don't always get it um, all, all the time, but it's one of my wife's favorite verses, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. You know what? So much more can get done. You know, it's you know, like children age, children grow together, um, and, and the things you're able to do that now you could go and be a blessing to other families and help helping them. Maybe pull weeds at a widow's home or whatever it may be. When the perfectionist is the husband, his wife tends to become insecure and her creativity becomes stifled. So when when he's the, expecting the Michelangelo in her, like he, he's the Michelangelo, but expecting it in her too, that her creativity becomes stifled, she gets insecure because nothing is ever done to his satisfaction. When the perfectionist is a wife, often the husband typically finds a place of retreat or simply stops trying to please her that he kind of ends up um, just giving up. It's not that Michelangelo-type spouses are perfect. It's just that they expect it in others. To expect perfection in others and somehow disapprove of them in the process is pretty hideous. But to expect excellence in others and you encourage them in the process is a wonderful thing. You know, like Jesus said, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Hey, you get the beam out of your own eye, then you may be able to help your spouse with the small mote. Now, you know, you could be a better help when you're working on yourself, and you could be a better partner in your marriage when instead of trying to fix your spouse all the time, your main focus is fixing yourself. The other type of spouse would be the catchphrase spouse. Um, it is, this kind of game, if you've never played, is passed from person to person with a secret word or phrase. The object is um, for, to get the others on your team to guess what the secret word or phrase is before it buzzes in your hand. Um, it's pretty humorous. It's a fun game um, to play when it's passed to them. You know, you see people, when they get it, they're hyperventilating. They don't want it to buzz in their hand. Um, they need to make one of those where it shocks you a little bit, huh? And, um, and then it, people hyperventilate, breathing, they get nervous, they get twitching, they rapid-fire speaking, they start talking real fast, blah, 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 Oh, oh, come on, come on, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get out. it's like, okay, just calm down, just say it slowly, and then you, I might be able to understand what you're saying. But it gets pretty funny. Um, but a catchphrase person is more like this. Man, what kind of mood is Lauren going to be in today? Man, what's he going to be like? Is he going to wake up grumpy? Is he going to wake up angry? Is he going to wake up happy? You know, a, a moody person, um, um, I hope to, he got up on the right end of the bed, so to speak. And so there could be an emotional unpredictability. And, and that's dangerous to a relationship, especially when that emotion is often anger. And so, like, the dynamic changes depending on who's around. You know of the game? If you only have two people, okay, you can't really play it. you got four people, you can play it, but it's not as fun. Um, you, get some people, you get some people that are crude, you know what, many times they will be crude in a game. You get people that are happy, bubbly, man, the game's fun, it's exciting. But we need to be careful in, in our marriage that our mood doesn't change drastically just by the people we're around. You know, if we had a rough day at work, be careful not to bring that home um, where, where it causes problems. Emotional, unpredictable, always ticking and ready to buzz at the next moment. Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four 24 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Now, if you marry that person, okay, you're stuck. You're with them. But if you are that person, you know what? Repent. You know what? Get over the anger. Um, Ephesians 4 it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Okay, if the sun is going down at the end of the day, you know what, you shouldn't go to bed angry. You shouldn't go to bed with unresolved disputes. Try and get it reconciled, so that way you're not waking up in the same mood. Get it fixed Play catchphrase, is fun, but don't be catchphrase. Okay. That's no fun for you or your spouse when you're just a buzzer ready to go off. Um, Angry spouses, as the Bible mentioned, they give place to the devil. They look inward. Are you the person around whom family members must tiptoe? Is it difficult for your spouse to be honest and open with you because you're soon angry, stubbornly defensive? Are you the catchphrase spouse? Okay. The roommate, okay, that's another kind of character. Um, They share a room, they share some responsibilities, they don't touch each other's stuff, they might prank each other, (laughs) they coexist, but they're their own autonomy. They're together, okay, but all they are are roommates. That is not God's plan for our marriage. They're to be a companion. There to be a team. Um, God calls married couples into oneness, not just to live together. And it's read earlier, and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. You know what? Married couples should strive to please each other, to be with each other. And um, even in the realm of sexual intimacy, and, you know, I've deleted a bunch of these slides in this topic. My wife um, told me, you no, uh, what, don't t- mention what you mentioned the one time you taught on this. We lost two families over it. And she says, she goes, I don't want to lose any more friends. And um, and we even had the kids in that store for it, too. And I and she goes, and don't make sure you don't tell those jokes. And I go, they weren't jokes. They were true, what I said. So if you want to know, you can maybe ask me later, but. I'm going to spare her. I'm going to take heed to her wisdom this time. Um, but the Bible just talking about sexual intimacy. You know, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto him, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That this wasn't a thing that they were ashamed of. And, um, you know, we finally had our kids ask us questions. And, man, first, like, man, how are we going to answer it? You know, it's easy. You know, when, I, when my, our kids were very young, you know, it was easy knowing what I'm going to do when they start approaching teenage years. But then when it actually happens, you're like, okay, maybe I should go read some of those books that were about this subject. How do you answer? How much information is too detailed? Um, how much is not enough detail? Or, um, and, like, you want to give enough information... And so we were just like, okay, this is just our oldest two. And it's so like, hey, you know what? Let's go, just go, okay, here's what the Bible teaches. Because, um, you know, they'd say different things. They'd ask different questions. They'd be like, you know what? How does a child end up looking like daddy of his mom having the baby? And, and um, how does the baby get in there? You know, when they're younger, you, put, you know, say, you know what? God put them in there. Say, so get older. They want to know a little bit more specifics. And it's like, okay, you know, we're just going to share from the Bible. Here's what it was. Not try to be overly graphical, but be biblical, what the Bible says. And you know what? I expected them to be like, ew, gross. But you know what? They were kind of like, whoa, that's amazing. That's amazing how God did that and stuff. And we talk about how, you know what, you wait until you're married and everything. Because that's another question they were asking. How come some people have babies when they're not married and stuff? And so I was kind of surprised by the response. They responded in a mature um, way. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Okay? God's going to judge adultery. He's going to judge fornication. But in the marriage, God is like, go all at it. You know what? This is a wonderful thing in the marriage. And oftentimes, after people get married, they become roommates after a while. And that's not healthy for a marriage. Um, The bedroom should be bold, adventurous, and exciting. You know, the Bible says, "...now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. That, um, we're, okay, we shouldn't be touching. Okay, you know what? When my, my wife and I, you, you know, when we were recording, you know what? We did not hold hands. You go, oh, that's extreme. Well, you know what? It kept us from going further. Okay, you know what? That touch, that could kindle a fire. And I'll take that back. There was like one or two times where I touched her hand. But you know what? By having that standard, having that conviction, that was our sin, okay? So to speak, okay? He didn't know if to do good and do of it not um, to him it is his sin. But you know what? By having high standards, high convictions, you know, and we, look, we looked ridiculous. We probably went too far in some areas, okay? You have our um, engagement photos, we're not even touching. We're not, no arm around each other. So we look silly. We're standing right next to each other. We look kind of silly and stuff. And the lady was um, doing our photos. She kept on trying to get us closer and everything. Come on. And, and, we're, and we're trying to keep our standard, our convictions. And, and even our pastor thought we were too close when he saw the pictures. And then seeing his kids grow up, they're all over each other in their engagement photos. I'm like, man, what is this? this pastor having a double standard on me and on them? He's like, oh, you were on staff and everything. My kids aren't. Well, whatever. (laughs) But the Bible says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. The wife have not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband have not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except ye be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Talking about the sexual intimacy, the Bible says, this is not something when you're married that should be abstained from. But for brief times where maybe you're giving the prayer and fasting. But Paul here writes, but you know what? In it quickly. You know what? When you are not fulfilling those desires together, Satan and the world and the flesh is able to make that temptation greater, it's stronger. Hey, okay, you know what? If a husband's going on a long trip, road trip, okay, you know what? He's a trucker going, you know what? Call your wife. You know what? Talk sweet nothings with her. Um, uh, you know what? Get, 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 talk to each other. You know what? That Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. The other uh, Proverbs five fifteen says: Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and the pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And so the marriage relationship is to be mutual. It's not like, okay, the woman is the rug or um, the woman always satisfies the husband. It's read, it's a mutual satisfaction. And drink waters, water that is a regular necessity, but out of thine own cistern. Not with strangers, but with your spouse. Moving on. And I didn't say any of my jokes, so my wife be proud of me. She'll be mad I told you that. She told me not to. She doesn't want to sound domineering like she's telling me what to teach and preach. But I told her, oh, you know what? Wives give good wisdom sometimes. Amen. Uh, But there's the repeat offender and the umpire as well. It's another character. Um, Repeat offenders, nearly half of the states of the country, have some kind of three strikes law. When a person commits the same kind of crime repetitively, the penalty becomes stiffer. And that's pretty reasonable. That's logical. Um, But when a spouse repeatedly exhibits a toxic behavior, the offended partner, when they... apply stiffer forms of punishment, it's not a good thing, okay? When we try to act like we're the repeat offender, or if we're trying to act like the umpire, where we're like, oh, three strikes, you're done. Too many strikes, and you, and you don't help out the team. Instead of just a strike, you get an out when you get three strikes. An umpire enforces the consequences. And this is disastrous for marriage. It develops a vicious cycle... Um, it, it is a, it, it develops, but the Bible says we're to forbear one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Not to be, again, this kind of goes related to the scorekeeper as far as counting strikes. If you find yourself a repeat offender, keep offending in the same way. An umpire situation, it's time to get help, get a neutral third party. Um, I'm available for counseling. Um, if you want someone older, you know, Burr Bramlett, um, I know would be willing to do some counseling. But get help if you're in this three strikes, repeat offender, and umpire situation. Get help. Get counseling. Um, habitual sins will continue to bind us until we exercise humility and invite accountability. Psalm 1913 says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Save three strikes for baseball, not for your marriage. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Okay, there's also the fan. Which one? Seahawks fan, the Patriots fan, what kind of fan are you? Imagine what your husband's childhood was growing up. Maybe you have pictures of your husband uh, um, growing up as a child. You imagine what he's going through. And we'll say that he had good parents. I know not everybody had good, solid parents growing up. But for illustration, just imagine that they did. And you think about their mom, their dad... Um, Charin Amon is a child, you know, riding this bicycle for the first time. And like, woo, you did it, yeah. You took the training wheels off, you're riding, woo, and then they fall. But then you go, oh, that's all right. Let's get back up. Let's do it again. Now, my dad, what he would do sometimes, he would say, hey, hold the dog leash. And then he would go, and then he would call the dog, come on. And the dog would start dragging me, and then I'd let go before I fall. And my dad would go, no, do not let go of the leash. And so he, I'd hold it, and then he's dragging me across the yard and stuff. My dad liked to torture me like that sometimes. He was a good dad, but he liked to have fun with me in that way where I wasn't having as much fun. But usually, okay, you know what, you cheer them on, you, you, you chair for them, you know, when they do something. Then they grow older, they get a teacher, um, and, and the teacher tells the student what, he, what they're good at. They get involved in sports, um, and they have a coach cheering them on, saying, so, you know, you're the man, good job, you got that home runner, you got that touchdown, you're the man, and cheering them on. And then he proposes to you, and you tell him you're going to be the greatest cheerleader in his life. And one day he comes home from work, and he opens the door, and routinely he gets boo. All his life he had cheerleaders. And sometimes our spouse could end up being not the cheerleader. They become a fan on the other team, so to speak. And then it tears them down. And it ends up likewise, it could be in both ways. A man could be coming home asking his wife, Why is the house always dirty? Um, stops complimenting the meals that she's making. Um, she rarely, if ever, gets any praise. That the wife no longer has a cheerleader. Where before, when you got married, you're about how beautiful she was, how smart she was. Um, how wonderful she was. You talked about all the things you liked about her. But then we couldn't be coming in that roommate mode and we're no longer the cheerleader, but we're the ones saying, boo. Wanna well, repent of that. Let's be each other's cheerleader. Even when we mess up, even when we fail. Even if one gets fired from a job. You know what? Be like, how you know it's gonna be alright. You know what? must have been what the Lord wanted. You know what? Let's let's chair them on. Let's chair each other on. And same thing in the church body. You know what? There's going to be times when people are put in leadership and they make mistakes. You know what? Chair them on. You know what? Let's see people develop. Let's see people grow um, in leadership. But they're never going to fly if they're never thrown off the cliff to fly. Amen? Like an eagle may throw off her young. When they're ready... Well, you're never going to be perfectly ready. There's going to be things trying now. But Proverbs thirty-one twenty-eight talks about her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and praise of her. Just praise our wives, men. Lift them up. Provide leadership in the marriage. For the husband is the head of the home, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, I know it's not popular in today's culture, but take leadership. And again, this does not mean being a doorman. The Bible talks about honoring your wife is the weaker vessel. That means you're honoring. It doesn't mean you're trampling over. But take leadership. Leadership. There's going to be times where she may disagree with some of your decisions when you're leading in spiritual areas or um, leading areas. Say, hey, you know what? We're going to be going to go do this at the church today. It's like, oh, you did that last week. Um, you know what? Be thankful. You know what? Follow the leadership husband. And then be her for accountability too. like, honey, you know what? Maybe you've been a lot at work or you've done a lot at the church. We need some time with our family. You know what? Do that. You know what? But, you know, it Always be done with the right spirit, the right attitude, not in a condemning um, fashion. Husband loves your wives, even as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Be the spiritual leader. Don't leave the spiritual leadership all up to your wife. Yes, she may do devotions with the kids at home when you're at work, but make sure you're taking time to do devotions with them or with your your grandchildren. Um, As Jesus sanctified the the church, cleansed it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know what you think? Your wife has a lot of spots and blemishes. Well, that's a blemish really on you because... You're to be preparing her. You're supposed to be nurturing her, um, helping her, guide her, leading her. Just as Jesus works on the church. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that love of his wife, love of himself. Tell you, you know what? If I'm honoring my wife, if I'm praising her, you know what? The returns are great. The dividends, they're wonderful. But I quit talking about her food. You know what? After a while, it could be some boring old same stuff. So I, oh, you didn't notice the cooking anyway. So what's the big deal? Why go for all that effort? And he may not always vocalize that. But you know what? He, that love of his wife, love of himself. You know, I say, you know what? You like back rubs. Your spouse never gets it, gives it to you. You know, give them a back Focus on them, and there may be return. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Even as the Lord the Church. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honour unto the wife as unto the wife, or as unto the weaker vessel. And as being nearest together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know, when things aren't right with us and our spouse, many times our prayers could be hindered. You know, we may want to be the spiritual giant, be praying, but we're not dwelling with our wife, our prayers be hindered. Now, I understand, you know what, say someone's already separated, you know what, I'm not saying that their prayers aren't going to be heard, that they're crying out to God, God, help my marriage, I want it to work out, God's not neglecting to hear those kinds of prayers. But when we're in our home and we're just fighting, we're just spewing hate or anger, you know what? Our spiritual life's really not going to be anything. God's not going to answer our prayers. Our prayers are going to be hindered. And so what kind of character are you? Okay, Marriage is not going to be perfect. But strive for an ideal marriage. Jesus said, you know what? Be perfect, given as your father is perfect. Okay? We're not going to be able to be perfect, but strive for perfection in yourself. Not in expecting it in your spouse, but expecting it in yourself. And so I hope you take some of these thoughts. You know, maybe, maybe there was one of those characters that you identify with the most. You know, ask the Lord to work on those areas in your life. And just ask God to work. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your grace. None of us have a perfect marriage. But we pray, Lord, that you will help us to have an ideal marriage where, if we're married, that the lost could see and other young Christians could see and want to see a marriage that we could emulate and that we could follow. And just pray, Lord, that you help us to be the husband we need to be or help us to be the wife we need to be. Help us to enjoy our life, whether we're still raising children or our children are outside of our home, whether we're elderly and maybe we're helping take care of our spouse. You know, maybe remember the good times, and Lord, maybe just remember to serve our spouse um, during the difficult, challenging times with their health. Help us to be an example to others and to the world. In Jesus' name, maybe just go spend some time in prayer as the piano continues to play. All right, Um, Alan got all the announcements this morning.